Fantastic. So, um, what a fantastic weekend we've had, right? Hasn't it been absolutely amazing? And, and, and perhaps you're just here today, it's your regular Sunday. Uh, well, we're so thrilled that you're with us today. But for some of us, this is the end of a weekend conference of gathering together in the presence of God. And it has been such a powerful time in God's presence. We've just been blown away by the presence of God, uh, by the power of the, uh, the messages that Pete has brought. And when we planned for this Sunday at the end of the conference, as a team, we felt, well, it would be good to, uh, for me to wrap this up with like a now word for us as a church, a, a Kairos word. Uh, and that's what I want to try to do today. When I think about um, not just the, the content of what was brought over the weekend. I mean, it's been great to think about prayer. It's been really good to think about that sense of intimacy with the Father, incredible teaching. But it's not just been the content, it's been what God has been doing amongst us. That sense of freedom in this place. A sense of of joy in this place. And, And for me, the question rises, how can we not just relegate that to a distant memory. Oh, do you remember back in 2020 when Pete, uh, Greg came? Great time. But how we can live in it each day, take hold of it and grow in it. And, and what I want to share today, I believe, really is the key to taking hold of whatever God is doing in our lives and really is the key to growing in it. So, If you've got your Bibles, would you open them to Romans chapter 12? We're going to read together from Romans 12, verse 1 to 3. Very familiar words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy And pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Amen. Very familiar words. You, like me, might know those words by heart, and I think often when we have familiar words, it's good to look at them in another version, another translation. So we're going to look at them in the passage translation. I, I picked that because that's what all the cool kids are reading at the moment. And um, I know it's where's Chris Kent. I know it's Bub's favourite translation. So um, let's have a look at it in uh, the Passion translation. This is what it says: Beloved friends. What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. I think that's a really key word for us. The things that influence us. 
but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So as we've been praying for the conference, knowing that I had an opportunity to bring something today, the the light, fluffy, easy, accessible topic that the Lord laid on my heart was this, surrender, surrender. Or to put it another way, the topic of making Jesus Lord. But what does it look like to make Jesus Lord? How, How do we live on that altar of surrender? And more importantly, why should we even bother? Why even bother surrendering our lives to King Jesus? And um, because of the way the Lord has wired me, um, I, I can't help but put this topic of surrender into our Mythbusters series. So I, I know we finished it magnificently with Kerry last week, but I'm extending it with Pastor's Privilege uh, for another week. Who knows what will happen after this. Uh, But for me, when I think of surrender, I just think of so many myths around the Christian life. And and, and, and I think of the myth, uh, the myth I want to speak into today is this. It's my life. It's my life. Every time I say it, I get the 90s club classic. Anyone? Do you know what I mean? It's my life. I'm not going to sing it, Jack. (laughs) That idea that That my life is my own. Now hopefully if you've been journeying with us over this term, you will know how myths work or how we've been talking about them. You take this seed of truth and then it gets wrapped in layers and layers of falsehood and fantasy. It starts with truth, then gets wrapped in layers of Hollywood and Disney. So it feels true. It feels like reality. But ultimately, that is why life is not working out, because it's wrapped in falsehood. It's wrapped in untruth. So I thought, um, every time we talked about myths, I thought, I've I've got this little video that I think illustrates really well how myths work. So can we run that video? I think it says bees in Spanish. Well, you get the idea, don't you? (laughs) Life can be like that. We can live in a reality that is not a reality at all. It's an illusion. It's a, a delusion. 
You know, it might feel like there are bees and sound like there are bees, but there are no bees. And, and the truth is, something is only true or real to the extent to which it lines up with the truth of God's word. So what is the truth at the heart of this myth? I'm calling it a myth. It's my life. My life is my own. Well, the simple truth is this. Yes, your life is your own. Your life is a gift to you from God. Your life, every breath that you breathe, is a wonderful gift from your heavenly Father for you to enjoy. It is your life. He has given it to you. And he has given you the gift of free will. He's given you the ability to direct your life, to make choices. Your life is not automatically under the reign and rule of King Jesus that we have been singing about today. It's not like your life is like a smartphone in the hand of God and he's just typing in uh, directions and you have no control over the output. Your life is your own. It has been given to you by God. You can use it however you want. It is down to you how you use your life. You have that choice. Now imagine the scene, and this is based on a, um, on a, a true story. I won't name any names, but it's, it's a child's birthday party. And the mum and dad, they dim the lights, they bring the cake out. Everyone's singing happy birthday to you, and the kid spits out the candles. Any, anyone else have a problem with that? There's more spit on the cake than the actual blowing out of the candles. And the mum and the dad and uh, the other kids lean in and say, uh, can we have some cake? And the kid says, no. No, it's mine. My cake is mine. Well, I don't know about you, but I can be like that towards God. John, you know that time you have. Can I have some of it? John, you know that money that you hold on to so tightly, will you surrender it to me? No, it's mine. It's my life. It's mine. We so quickly forget that all that we have, all that we are, is like the cake. It's God's gift to us. I'll tell you another true story. Um, about eight years ago, we were having one of those little seasons in life where money was tight happens every so often in normal families, doesn't it? And uh, so I was down at the Asda, um, which you're laughing because we got Pete Gregg to go full scouse for us. Um, we were down at the Asda buying on all the yellow whoopsie labels, and I'd got one of the boys who was little at the time in the pushchair doing the weekly shop. And as you can imagine, he kept saying, Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have that? Can I have this? Can I have that? And I'm saying, no, love. Mum and Dad are trying to save the, the pennies. Mum and dad are trying to cut back on the spending. No, love, you can't have a giant leg of Serrano ham just because you passed it in the eye. No, no, love, you can't have the world's biggest box of chocolates. We're trying to save some money. A little bit later on that day, the same child came with um, just a handful of coppers from his piggy bank, about two pound in total of money that we'd given to him. Mum, dad, you can have it. And it is an awe moment. You've probably got stories like that. But I share it because that is how it works with God. That is what surrender looks like. 
It is to come before our wonderful, loving, heavenly Father. Recognizing all that we have and all that we are was his gift to us. And to hold it before him and say, Dad, here's my life. Dad, here I am. I gladly, willingly, and joyfully give it back to you. I surrender. That's surrender. And if you think about it, this is exactly how we entered into relationship with the Father, our Heavenly Father, isn't it? Uh, Being a Christian, just in case you're not aware, being a Christian, for want of a better phrase, is nothing more than coming to God the Father and saying, God, um, this life, I give it to you. I belong to you. I'm yours. Come and take control of my life. That's how we entered into the Christian life. But it's how we live the Christian life. We just read, haven't we, about how we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And you've probably heard preachers say it before, but you know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? We just keep getting off the altar, don't we? That's the problem. I have to give myself the spiritual equivalent of a spiritual kick up the spiritual backside every day. Come on, John, get back on the altar. Surrender again. And Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, then you have to deny yourself and daily take up your cross to follow me. It is a daily, deliberate choice. Daily coming before the Father to say, thank you for this life that you've given me, Lord. I give it back to you. I belong to you. I'm yours. I surrender. I just think that surrender can seem such like, like such a negative word, can't it? Do you know what I mean? Surrender can seem like you've lost. Surrender is like you've, you've quit. Surrender means that you've failed. That's how we think of surrender, don't we? It's, it's how you lose. But this is the point in the kingdom, right? Because in the kingdom, everything gets turned upside down. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. So in the kingdom of God, we don't surrender to lose. In the kingdom, we surrender for victory. We surrender to win. That's how the kingdom works. And I think we use this idea of surrender positively all the time, in the natural sense. Years ago when I broke my leg, I had to surrender. I had to let someone put me to sleep. I had to let someone put a knife into me and put screws into my leg. I had to surrender to the surgeon. Last week, my youngest boy and I, we went on a plane uh, to, to Spain for some mountain walking and um, it was during Storm Dennis. Uh, we, does anyone else have a problem how we like to give names to storms to make them sound scarier? Storm Dennis. Uh, in fairness, it is better than Storm Jorge, right? I mean, Storm Jorge sounds like the sort of storm that would sip sherry and eat tapas. Um, at least Storm Dennis sounds like it would strangle your cat or... <laughs> Scary. It was a scary flight. Storm Dennis, in fairness, it was a scary flight. Uh, but when you get on a plane, you have to uh, surrender control to another. You lose control to someone else. 
You know, the plane might be swinging from left to right. It might be bouncing up and down like our flight was doing. But you don't think, right, it's getting scary in here. It's getting a bit choppy. Move over, pilot. I'm taking control. This is my life that's on the line here. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? It would be crazy. Because in that moment, we know that we surrender to someone far better qualified to be in control than us. You can see the point that I'm trying to make. Surrender leads to breakthrough. Surrender leads to success in that true biblical sense of the word. Surrender leads to victory. You know, when we surrender in the Christian life, we're not surrendering to the enemy. We're not surrendering passively to the situation. I I think we've got to address some of the ideas that have got tagged onto grace and onto rest in the Christian church. You know, we're not surrendering to the situation. That's a sort of Eastern Buddhist type of view of surrender. We're surrendering to God. We're surrendering to one who is full of mercy. We're surrendering to a good heavenly father. And as we do so, we find victory. General William Booth, the co-founder of the Salvation Army, was once interviewed and asked to reveal his secret of his success. After some hesitation, tears came to his eyes and he said this. I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have. Men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the paw of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, On that day, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. That led the interviewer, Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, to say, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. Oh, to be able to say that. Oh, to be able to say that God has had all there is of me. The measure, the sorry, the greatness of a person's power is in the measure of their surrender. We have a, a, a big vision as a church. It's to see our city totally transformed by God's grace. Places like Toxteth transformed by God's grace. Through to the nations transformed by God's grace. How does that happen? Well, we often say, don't we, that transformed people transform people. That's how it happens. As you present your body as a living sacrifice, God says, there's someone I can use. There's someone I can get hold of who will be able to impact the world around them. Transform people, transform people. They transform places. When we gather like this, I think sometimes you can look at the news And you can see what's going on in Syria. And you can see what's going on around the world with global crises. And you can think, what is the point of it all? Let me tell you what the point is. 
The point is to surrender. The point is true spiritual worship that leads us to put ourselves on that altar and say, God, take my life. I gladly and willingly and joyfully give it to you. I surrender. I think that often as Christians, it's like we, we want the kingdom without the king. Could it be that we want the kingdom without the king? That we want to experience the kingdom's power, the kingdom's presence, the kingdom's peace, the kingdom's provision without ever really bowing the knee to King Jesus? And I think we know, don't we, that it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. We want all that God has got for us, but God is wanting all of us. And as we bow the knee, as we live on that altar, that's when we experience the kingdom at work in our lives. So what does it look like to surrender to King Jesus? Well, I'm going to nick the brilliant illustration that Kerry used last week uh, when she taught in the Mythbusters series about a deck of cards, about identity as a deck of cards. Fantastic preach, and I'd really encourage you to listen to it if you haven't done that. Uh, And Kerry was saying that Life is like a deck of cards. Our identity is like a deck of cards. And it seems to me that the the work of the Christian life is, is to keep King Jesus on the top of that deck of cards. And and so we get into all sorts of problems when uh, things like our sexual identity or our work identity or our political identity or uh, our ideologies, the things that we believe about life and the world, um, whether we're red or we're blue, we, we get into all sorts of problems when those things creep up that deck of cards and take first place. And, and so the Christian life is about learning how to keep Jesus on the top of your deck of cards. I think it's a great illustration. That's what we mean by surrender. That's what we mean by lordship. To come before Jesus and say, Jesus, this life that you've given me, this day I I joyfully, I gladly, I willingly give it back to you. I'm yours. I surrender. So for me, surrender looks like surrendering my time to King Jesus. When you surrender your time to Jesus, you realize that your time is not your own. Funny things start to happen, like you find you want to get up a little bit earlier to spend time with Jesus. You're happy to have a little less sleep because you think you want to be reading your Bible and encountering him and his presence each day. And as we surrender our time to Jesus, we find victory in our time. Isn't that a modern phenomenon that no one has enough time, right? Isn't it? No one has enough time, but as we surrender our time to Jesus, in the kingdom it becomes redeemed. We we have victory in our time. We, We find our time becomes really fruitful. So for me, surrendering my life to Jesus looks like surrendering my wallet to Jesus. Surrendering my bank account to Jesus. Oh, it's talking about money again. Thank you. (laughs) Look at what Jesus spoke about. Go and read the letters in red. Jesus talks about money 
so much. Why? Because it's about lordship. It's about surrender. I can't stand before the Lord uh, pastoring a church and not call us to consider if our finances are surrendered to King Jesus. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You can't have two cards on the top of your deck. You cannot serve both God and money. It's about lordship. It's about surrender. It's about which card is on the top of your deck. And again, when we surrender our finances to Jesus, that's when they become fruitful. That's when we find victory in our finances. I mean, we could talk about so many things, couldn't we? But what about family and friends? Where where do they feature in your deck of cards? Well, they should be right high up there, shouldn't they? They're incredibly important. But if we want our friendships and our family to thrive and be fruitful, they, they can't be higher up than King Jesus. That's how friendships thrive. That's how family is fruitful. As we put Jesus as number one in our lives. I'm going to give you a little um, personal and vulnerable example of this because uh, when I was praying about this, I felt it could really help some people um, experience a greater level of freedom and surrender under the lordship of Jesus. So um, I like a glass of wine. And um, good, no one gasped. <laughs> I, I, I do understand that in some cultures, in some contexts, it would be wrong to do that. If I was um, being a witness to my family and my family had um, a, a problem with alcohol, I wouldn't drink. If I was on mission in a country where people didn't drink, I wouldn't drink. But as in Jesus' culture and context, so in mine, it's just a really good way to celebrate God's goodness and joy in my life. Now that said, um, a little while ago, during a particularly stressful period of my life, I found that I wasn't just having a glass of wine on a Friday to the glory of God, but on Monday and Tuesday, I could tell by the little titters that I'm not the, and Wednesday and Thursday, I'm not even talking about drinking excessively. It's about that card in my deck getting a little bit higher and higher and higher. And so when I realized that, I said, well, I'm going to cut that out for a while. Now, I know people do that for health reasons, dry January, October. It's not a bad thing to do for your health. But I did it for lordship, for surrender. It's about who is on the top of your deck of cards. And, you know, I think it is really interesting that when you understand the ancient world and the culture in which the Bible was written, The ancient world understood that that things like uh, money and sex and wine, they saw them as deities. They saw them as idols. They they saw them as idols to be worshipped. They understood in the ancient world that these things have a power in them. That you can give yourself to those things. And in doing so, they become your master. They become your lord. And so I just want to ask us the very challenging question, is anything having mastery over your life? This is the freedom of which Christ has set us free from, isn't it? That we can live free from those things that would entangle and trap us as we seek to make Jesus first in our lives. 
So I think the question is not so much how do we make Jesus Lord, but how do we keep Jesus as Lord? How do we live on that altar? How do we stay on that altar? And there are two aspects to it, both equally important. And um, really, this is what speaks into um, how we take a conference weekend and how we live it out. So the first aspect is what we would call daily surrender. I've already talked about that. How do we daily come before the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, this life I've given to you, uh, this life you've given me, I, I give it back to you. I surrender it to you. It's, it's my joy to do it, Lord. I willingly and gladly give you my life afresh this day, Jesus. That should be a regular rhythm, a regular prayer in our lives as we learn to make Jesus Lord. So there's daily surrender, but then there are altar moments. There are altar moments. Moments where there is grace for us to step into a deeper level of surrender. Moments where there is grace for us to, to put a line in the sand and, and mark that moment as a moment of giving our lives afresh to King Jesus. Conferences are often altar moments. Anyone experienced an altar moment at a conference? Yeah. I remember at 17 at a, a conference called Grapevine and Trish was leading worship. And, um, and I just remember coming to that point thinking, Jesus, I gave my life to you at the age of six and I've always sort of known you, but I feel like you're asking me to give my life afresh to you. So I surrender. And in that moment, I felt God speak to me about my future, my destiny, a path to walk along. An altar moment. And if you've been following our um, Moravian reading plan, the Old Testament parts, um, there have been a number of literal altar moments in our reading since January. Genesis is punctuated by these altar moments where stones are piled upon stone and, um, uh, and a fire is made and a sacrifice is given. A literal altar moment. So when I asked my uh, wonderful and creative PA Hebe to make me an altar today, I'd not quite anticipated it would be... Um, based on a Bronze Age altar from the Jewish Museum in Israel. Uh, but that is what we would expect, isn't it? So, um, so thank you very much for making this altar. Because altar moments, there's something in an altar moment that just, it sticks in your consciousness. It, it sticks in your mind. A moment of surrender. So Noah makes an altar. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua... They make an altar. How does it work like this? They encounter God and their reflex response to encounter is surrender. They encounter God and their reflex response is surrender. Does that word reflex sound familiar to us, church? Yeah? If I poke you in the eye, you blink. It's natural. It's instinctive. When we encounter God, our reflex is surrender. But then actually when you read through the Old Testament, something else is happening. There are times where it just looks like normal life and, and someone builds an altar. They make a sacrifice and then God turns up. 
then the fire falls. And so we have this fantastic cycle that I've just tried to capture on the screen of encounter that reflexes with surrender and surrender that reflexes with encounter. It's like God's natural reflex response to his people is to show up. It's to take the sacrifice and to set it on fire, to consume it. Our hearts are set on fire. And this is what we see in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you get a glimpse of God's mercy, the reflex response is to say, here I am, Jesus. Take my life. I gladly and willingly surrender. When you look at Old Testament altar moments, you will see that they are, they're at points of trauma and transition. They're at crisis points. They're at crossroad points. They're at points of political and social upheaval. Sounds familiar? So Jacob is running for his life, literally running for his life, when he encounters God at Bethel and builds his altar. Genesis 28. Elijah is against 850 prophets of Baal. It's like the whole destiny of the nation was hanging on this point. And he soaks the altar in water. And the fire of God falls on it. 1 Kings 18. And I just think that this is such an important principle for us to understand. Building an altar beautifully redeems crisis. Building an altar in our lives redeems and reframes pain and crisis. That's how it works. You see, I don't know about you, but I can think back at some times in my life where I was literally at the end of my own natural ability. Points in my life that were totally beyond me. Points in my life where it honestly felt like I was nosediving, about to crash and burn. And in that moment, it becomes a gift to us. Because in that moment, what, what are we left with other than just to raise our hands and say, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you to step in here. Jesus, I need you to fight for me, to turn up. Strength made perfect in weakness. It leads us to an altar. And so what happens when we make an altar and we surrender is um, we get something far more powerful than breakthrough and victory. I do believe surrender opens the door to breakthrough and victory. But we get something far more precious than breakthrough and victory. We get his presence. We get his beautiful presence. Our affliction becomes eclipsed by glory. We see him afresh. Surrender and encounter, encounter and surrender. I wonder if I could have the band up, please. 
Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you. Can you, can you hear Paul's heart as a pastor to this Roman church? I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's not in view of his power. It's not in view of his might and his majesty and his splendor. It's not because we're afraid of him, right? It's in view of his mercy. When we get a glimpse of the mercy of God displayed for us on the cross, are we reflex with surrender? When we catch a cl- uh, just a glimpse of his goodness and faithfulness in salvation, when we remind ourselves each day of what took place at Calvary, how he gave his life for us. Our natural reflex response is to say, Jesus, take my life. I give it to you once again, this life that you gave me. I gladly, willingly, joyfully lay it down on that altar. I surrender. And so we wanted to have a little altar moment for us as a church. And um, we're going to go into a time of worship now, so it's not like we all have to come to the front at once. But um, you'll notice two things about this altar. Um, You'll notice there are some stones around it. And I I just want to challenge you, that, that call to daily surrender. Just take one of those little stones, stick it by your bedside cabinet, stick it on the window ledge by the, where you do the washing up. And use it as a little trigger, a little reminder of a call to surrender each day in view of God's mercy. So that's one response. That's how we step into and take hold of what God has begun in us as a people. For some here today, um, you've just been enjoying the presence of God over the weekend. It's been absolutely amazing. We are so thankful to you guys for leading us in that. What should our response be to an encounter but surrender? So there's some pieces of paper and some pens. And you might just want to put your name on a piece of paper and tuck it into those uh, branches. Dave, don't worship too hard because I am concerned about the far falling uh, when you get going. Health and safety. But just take a piece of paper, just tuck it in here. You can grab a stone as well with your name on. Just as a reminder that on this day, the 1st of March, 2020, and that's a miracle if you know me, that I got that date right. (laughs) I just decided to give my life afresh to Jesus. Now here's the thing about some altars. It's an altar first, then the encounter comes. And you might be sat here thinking, it is a long time since I've had an encounter with Jesus. It's not that I don't believe in him. Of course I do. You might even be serving him. But it's a long time since you've had that sort of encounter. And what I believe for today is that there is grace here that as we make that perhaps unemotional decision, because you're not even feeling it. But just as we come, as we change our posture from being sat in chairs or stood there to moving forward, to doing something physical, to saying, Jesus, I I want to encounter you afresh. I lay my life down before you. Come and consume my life afresh. Then as we worship, I believe you're going to experience his wonderful presence. So let's stand, shall we? There's two responses. We've got our time. 
to, t- uh, to take over this. Um, you can start to come forward now. You can start to worship. But let's make that offering in view of his mercy to surrender.